If you have enjoyed Baker Street 2033, why not consider supporting the second series? Go to ko-fi.com slash neilfitzgerald. That's ko-fi.com slash neilfitzgerald. Your support would be most welcome. future Sherlock Holmes mystery. The Glass Cryptographer by Neil Fitzgerald. Episode 4. The Cavalry Arrives. I slept fitfully in the cell, not through any real discomfort. I had slept on far harder beds in Lhasa when visiting the head lama, but because I dwelled on my mind's singular failure to make correct inferences from my observations in this strangely transfigured world. What I would not have given to be able to bow my disquiet away on my violin. But, alas, I could not. Sometime later I was served a desultory cup of coffee and continued to await my fate, I fell back to sleep and was woken by the sound of the flap on the cell's metal door opening and the monotone voice of one of the constables saying, Mr Sherlock Holmes, you are now free to go. It was an unexpected and welcome development. Naturally, I had no idea of whether many hours had passed or not since my watch and watch chain had been confiscated. I was released from my confinement and had my belongings returned to me at the same desk where I had been processed some 18 hours previously according to my watch. Intriguingly, the Morocco case was among my possessions, for which charges were supposedly being brought against me in addition to trespassing and illegal smoking. I inquired of the constable why my liberty had been returned to me so precipitously, but it would only respond in the vaguest terms. New developments have come to light, and so forth. With my belongings pocketed and my frock coat dusted off, I turned on my heels and waited for the frosted glass of the processing desk to open and my release to be complete. As the door slid back and the antechamber preceding it came into view, I heard a voice at once instantly recognisable and a current which still perplexes me. Holmes! Is it really you? I thought you were really gone this time! Not since that dreadful incident at the Reichenbach Falls have I felt your absence so profoundly. And there I was to greet you, I said, picking up the thread of the story. You hardly recognise me. Really? How could I, Watson? You were like all the other automata in this bizarre new world. I could not even blame your new wife for this transformation. Not entirely, Holmes. My attire was as it used to be, even if my face was a somewhat approximate illustration. Hmm snorted Holmes derisively. As I recall, neither of us had noted at the time the absence of my wife. No, a most regrettable error. This could have saved us much time in resolving some of the enigmas surrounding ourselves at that time. I agreed, but we are getting ahead of ourselves in the telling of this tale, and I will return us to that first reunion at the entrance to Scotland Yard. "'Where to from here?' asked Holmes. "'Home, my dear friend,' I said, seizing his thin arm. "'Home? Can you really mean...?' "'221B, Baker Street. "'Does it still exist in this futurist jungle?' "'I hailed a cab, which, once inside, "'my companion was quick to examine "'to try and determine how it operated. 
Computers. Not a person, but a machine. It's a whole new language, Holmes. Not so, Watson. I refer you to a copy of the periodical Engineering from 1897, where a Mr. W. Cox is said to have made one. Even the automaton is as old as civilization, if only in the form of a desideratum. His voice trailed off whimsically, and we travelled in silence a while, Holmes gazing out the window at the fantastically illuminated city. Then, in the most desultory manner imaginable, he inquired, So how did you manage it? To get you off the hook, old chap. Yes, my dear Watson, he exclaimed. I said I had prescribed the cocaine as a treatment for chronic toothache. I was also able to vouch for your character and to verify your residence in Baker Street with some letters addressed to you there. Splendid! But however did you come to know of my incarceration? That I cannot answer. I woke up this evening in Baker Street. I must have been napping, I suppose. Now whether through dream or premonition, I know not, but I awoke with the most piercing desire to go to Scotland Yard. So that's what I did. It was as if I had an intuition that you were in need of help. What do you make of that? All very fanciful, Watson. I deal in facts, not fantasies. It is a mystery I should dearly like to solve, I replied. Now I should warn you that Baker Street has seen some changes. How so? Everything is as it was, Mrs. Hudson, the tobacco-stuffed Persian slipper beside the fireplace, your violin, only, well, you shall see soon enough. We were approaching Baker Street, though I could see that Holmes was struggling to orient himself among the vestiges of a city that had been turned into a palimpsest in three dimensions, overlaid as it was with new landmarks, superstructures, shop signs, advertisements, and those massive angular edifices of plate glass. Another veritable crystal palace turned on its end, my companion scoffed as we alighted from the cab on Baker Street, for the brick building lay behind a glass exoskeleton and had become the de facto ground floor of another soaring skyscraper. Above the door in garishly illumined lettering were the words, Welcome to the Sherlock Holmes Museum. My friend looked aghast. I did warn you, Holmes. When we arrived, there was a queue outside the door and along the street. We tried to explain to the doorman our predicament, but he would not budge and bid us go to the back of the queue. Really, Watson, this is too much. Fortunately for us, the queue moved quickly. Once inside, we were asked to pay for a ticket. By some stroke of good fortune, the desk clerk was able to establish, by some means quite imperceptible to me, that I had credit and issued us two tickets. We then made our way up an escalator, an escalator, and were then allowed, ha, to pass through into our old rooms. 221B was still present within this alien structure, preserved like a museum piece, as the saying goes, only here it was literally so. Files, papers, armchair, Persian slipper, bullet holes in the wall, violin, all were present and mostly correct. Mrs. Hudson was a costumed automaton like myself, only with a remarkably limited vocabulary, repeating the same set expressions over and over like a parrot. Her dismay at the disorder, her introduction of the same automaton visitor, and her offer to serve tea. 
The biggest shock for Holmes, though, was coming face to face with himself. And not for the first time, if one recalls the wax bust he had made to ensnare the crack shot Colonel Moran in the case of the empty room. The present simulacrum, however, was in quite another league to that one, being a fully animated automaton sporting a deerstalker at all times. When not playing the violin, it would smoke a calabash pipe, a pipe I had never known my friend to smoke in all our time spent together. His lexicon was also restricted to a set litany of phrases, the most frequently heard on his lips being, Elementary, my dear Watson. This strange creation was referring, of course, to me, for there was no other Watson around. It was a simple process of deduction to infer that I, too, must have been one of these lower-level automatons with a pre-programmed script to follow day after day. I raised a hand to my troubled brow at the horror of what I had now fathomed. Holmes, I... I believe I must have been here for many years, and yet I don't seem to recall any of it. It is as if my consciousness had only just started registering phenomena. Holmes's eyes lit up as if this remark had sparked an idea in his own brain, but he immediately returned to a taciturn frame of mind when his eyes made contact with one of the many pointing and gawking museum visitors. It suddenly struck me that... All of them were wearing the same extraordinary glass visor, a sort of half-finished diving bell. I turned round to find that one of these sightseers had seized Holmes in his grasp. This chap then removed his visor and smiled for what I could only assume to be an impromptu photograph, for this curious monocle gave off an explosive light most like that of a flashbulb, only the attendant smoke was entirely absent. Holmes bore it all with a barely concealed chagrin and admirable restraint, but the temptation to use his knowledge of Baritza on this oath must have been immense. Sundry security automata made it awkward, but we were eventually able to climb under the rope cordoning off the exhibits and hide ourselves in a wardrobe. Once the museum had been shut up for the night and the automata switched off, we finally had our old rooms to ourselves. By this time, one of my friend's black moods had descended upon him, and he proceeded to spend the evening reacquainting himself with his Stradivarius and what he called the constellations of Bach's Chacon, long into the night. I turned in early and prepared to see what wonders the morning would bring, hoping that Holmes would be in better humour for the trials that no doubt lay ahead of us. Sherlock Holmes will return in Episode 5, Browsing the Neurosphere. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you might like to try others by the same writer and producer, such as Dear Old Blood, Notes on a Wittgenstein Noir, and Modern Gothic. The writer now has a cracking idea for a second series of Baker Street 2033. So, you could also consider supporting the writer at buymeacoffee.com slash Neil Fitzgerald. <laughs>